0: If I haven't met you before, like Mark said a second ago, my name is Tatiana. I am the worship leader for Menlo San Jose campus, and it is just such an honor and a privilege for me to be able to be here and be with you guys and be a part of this series, The Forgotten God. And if this is your first time here, if you haven't been with us in the past couple weeks, uh, two weeks ago we started this series called The Forgotten God, focusing on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we're really diving into, in this series, who the Holy Spirit is, what his role is in our lives, and how we can become more and more aware of his presence and his influence. And I think that the Forgotten God is really the perfect name for this series because in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is undoubtedly the most misunderstood, the most forgotten, the least talked about, least sung about person of the Trinity, There was actually a Barna survey recently done that revealed that 52% of self-identifying evangelicals in the US believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. Now that is a really sad and really alarming statistic because what this reveals is that the majority of self-identifying Christians in the US do not know and understand who the Holy Spirit is and are not recognizing him as a person. A person who longs for a close, intimate relationship with us. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a force, not a feeling, not simply an influence. He is a person. He has a personality. He has intellect, emotions, and will. And this is proof of his personality, that he has both divine and personal attributes. And we see throughout the scriptures that he does many things. He teaches, he inspires, he guides, he leads We can grieve him. We can quench him. He convicts us of our sin. And if we want to fully appreciate and comprehend his role in our lives, we first need to understand and know him as a person. Because who he is is foundational to what he does. There's a theologian named Charles C. Ryrie who wrote a great book about the Holy Spirit. And he said this about his role in personhood. But the spirit is not merely a mysterious power or a mode of operation or a force, he is a person. If he is mysterious, then I cannot know and understand him. If he is a mode of operation, then he may be on the same lower level as other modes God uses in the world. If he is a force, then he is impersonal, however powerful. And perhaps in some instances, at least I could be a greater force and control him. I love this part. But since he is a person, and since he is God, And since he has been revealed to us in the Bible, then my dealings with the Spirit are with a divine person whose activities and expectations for me are clear. I just love that part. Since he is a person and since he is God, our dealings with the Spirit are with a divine person. And Before we move forward tonight, that is the most important foundational thing for us to understand, that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. In John chapter 16, Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples before he goes to the cross and he begins to explain to them that he will not be with them any longer but that it is actually better this way. Now, of course, this is confusing to the disciples because they have spent the last three years by his side, spending every day with him, seeing him perform miracles with their eyes, hearing his voice clearly with their ears. They could reach out and touch and feel him tangibly. And now he is leaving, and he is telling them that it is for their benefit, that somehow his leaving was for them. Now, living in the Bay Area, I'm sure the majority of us in this room can resonate with the sadness of a friend moving away. The Bay Area is pretty notorious for being a transient, expensive place to live, nearly impossible to put roots down. I saw an article recently that said it would take the average person 20 years of saving to afford a small down payment on a house in San Jose. Isn't that crazy? Now... Unless you're that person from South Carolina who had that winning ticket to the billion-dollar lottery and you can now finally afford that cozy two-bedroom in San Francisco, it can feel pretty hopeless to think of putting down roots here. Now, it's it's not that bad. You could at least get a three-bedroom with that. But I recently had one of my best friends move to Wisconsin, and many of you in this room probably know that I'm talking about Michael. He was the pastor here at Sanctuary. And Michael was my best friend on staff here at Menlo. He and my husband, Timmy, and I got really close in our time working with him. So when he called and he told us about his move to Wisconsin, even though we were so excited for him and what God was calling him on, we were also really sad because we were losing our friend. And after he called and told us that he was moving, I had this moment of sadness just reminiscing about what a great friend he was and feeling sad that we wouldn't get to work together anymore. And then I started thinking about how I would stop by his office whenever I would be at the Menlo Park campus for a meeting or something, and I would walk by his office, and I'd say hi, and then I started thinking about this little little bowl of chocolates that he had in his office. (laughs) And let me tell you, these chocolates are the absolute worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. If you watch the TV show Friends, there's this episode where Monica, uh, she's really desperate for work, and she signs on with this company that makes fake chocolate called Mokalit. And she gives her friends a little sample, and Phoebe's response is, this is what evil must taste like. (laughs) And friends, I I think these chocolates are Mokalit. And if you don't believe me, if you think that I'm exaggerating, I brought samples. Um, (laughs) So if you want to find me after service, you can can try these for yourself and experience the um, but y- some of you might be looking at these and recognize them and say hey I like I like those chocolates they're from Trader Joe's and let me tell you they, they might be healthy but there is healthy food that doesn't taste like this <laughs> you don't you don't have to do this to yourself there's there's better food out there but Michael he just loves these he, he's convinced himself that they're not that bad actually he doesn't love them but they're not that bad they're d- they're doable because they're healthy chocolates. There are only three ingredients, honey, mint, and cocoa powder. So the experience is that when the f- you taste that first bite, it's not that bad but the aftertaste hits you because the honey makes this bitter cocoa powder stick to the roof of your mouth, and you just feel like you have this, like, actual garbage taste, like, lingering in your (laughs) mouth for the rest of the day. It's it's horrible. So I have made fun of Michael relentlessly for liking these chocolates. So when I thought of him moving, it's super embarrassing, but I actually found myself tearing up thinking about never seeing these chocolates again. They were tears of joy, I think, but... About a week after Michael moved to Wisconsin, a cross-campus delivery came to the San Jose campus. And these are usually just like documents to sign, small deliveries that can fit in an envelope. And I don't usually get them often. So I was like, huh, why why would someone send me this? And lo and behold, Michael had sent me this thoughtful leftover gift of his leftover disgusting chocolates. (laughs) And this like, brought so much joy to my day, and it was so funny, and made me laugh so much, but it, it also made me realize the reality that when a friend or a family member moves away, you f- really feel the weight of that distance. But when I got that campus delivery, as silly as it was, as disgusting as it was, it made me forget about the distance for a moment. It really didn't seem like my friends with, friend was thousands of miles away. Now, Jesus' whole time on earth closed the distance between us and God. In all the Old Testament, God seemed distant and unapproachable because of sin. But when Jesus came and was God in flesh and blood, God with us, the God who walked alongside us, he closed that gap. God seemed far away, but now God was close, But Jesus, being fully God and fully human, he had the limitations of not being able to be with every person at every moment. So to send the Holy Spirit who would be with us all the time, Jesus had to leave. He had to take on the cross and conquer the grave to fulfill the promise that he would be with us to the end of the age. That he would never leave us or forsake us. So Jesus assures his disciples and he assures us tonight that it is better this way. Now in John 16, verse 7, where Jesus is assuring his disciples that sending the Holy Spirit is for their good and for their benefit, the word he uses to describe the Holy Spirit is called parakletos. And parakletos was a word used to describe someone who would come alongside you during a time of legal difficulty and help aid you to make the right decisions. And this is a word that we actually can't perfectly translate into one word. So if you look at multiple translations of the Bible, you'll see four different very distinct roles stand out. And I want to read to us a few translations so you can see those different roles. So the NIV says this. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And the ESV says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The King James Version says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And this last one says, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So here, through all these different translations, we see that the Holy Spirit is my Comforter. He's my comforter when I'm going through times of sorrow. He's the God who mourns with me. We see, too, he is my counselor. He's my counselor when I'm confused and I need someone to guide me or process painful parts of my story that I need healing from. He's my advocate. He's my advocate when I've been accused and I need someone to stand beside me, to believe me, to support me. Overall, he is my helper. He is my helper in times of trouble, and he is always there, and I have that assurance. And even as these are clearly distinct roles, they all have in common this one theme of the Holy Spirit being the God who is near to us, the God who is close to us, the God who comes alongside us, who is not distant, who is not cold or unconcerned or aloof. And if we want to understand and experience why Jesus would say that it is better this way, we have to understand the role of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus describes with this word, parakletos. And I think that the simplest way to describe it is that the Holy Spirit's role, as we see in this passage, is to come alongside us, to come alongside us. And this is what gives us this absolute assurance that God is not distant. God is not distant, but he longs for a close, personal, intimate relationship with each one of us in this room tonight. And tonight, that that is what we're going to be looking at, a couple of the different ways that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and how we can experience that it is really better this way like Jesus promised it would be. So first we see the Holy Spirit comes alongside us as our helper. Now Jesus saying that it would be better this way that we have the helper indicates something that we need help, that God has created us to live in continual dependence on him as our helper. Every day we need help and some of us actually find identity in being the one who helps. So we don't wanna speak up and ask for help from God or from other people when we need it. Self-sufficiency seems to be a better option for our egos. Now asking for help can feel like weakness. It can feel like weakness but it's actually strength. It's actually strength. It's actually humility. It's actually a really, really hard thing to do. But God promises us that in our weakness, where we feel the most vulnerable, where we feel the most defeated, the least useful, the least helpful, that is actually where his strength is made perfect where the divine strength of God indwelling us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, is made perfect because we have no choice but to fully rely on the strength of God and let go of our own self-sufficiency that was doing nothing but holding us back the entire time. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, when we are weak, then we are strong. Now here, the Apostle Paul is talking about a difficulty in his life that he described as his thorn in the flesh. And when we think of a thorn, it can sound like a minor, small irritation, but the word used here actually more accurately describes a tent peg, something a lot more painful, something a lot more visible, something that if you were to remove it, would be a lot more likely to leave a scar, it would really leave its mark on you. And there is no indication in the text about what exactly it is that is causing him to suffer, but we do know that it had some kind of physical dimension, that it was a thorn in his flesh. Perhaps it was a sickness or a physical ailment of some kind. Maybe it was chronic pain. We know, too, that it had a mental dimension, that it was a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. Perhaps Paul suffered from some kind of mental illness. And lastly, we see, too, that it had a spiritual dimension, that it was an unanswered prayer. Paul said that he pleaded with the Lord to remove this thorn from him three times. And three times doesn't actually mean only three times, but is the Hebrew figure for ceaselessly, continually, over and over and over again. I'm sure many of us in this room have felt that before, that there's been something that you have been praying for over and over and over again, and it seems like God is silent. But God's response was not, what Paul had expected for, what he hoped for. Instead of relieving Paul's thorn in the flesh by removing the load, God chose instead to strengthen the shoulder bearing the load and to show his own strength through Paul's evident weakness. And to receive this strength and divine help in his weakness, Paul had to truly believe that God's grace was sufficient. And friends, the reality is we really don't believe that God's grace is sufficient Until we recognize and believe that we are insufficient on our own. Now, 11 years ago, I began a battle with a mental illness called anorexia. It has been a great on and off struggle in my life, especially difficult in seasons of intense stress. And when I decided to follow Jesus, I had this expectation that my anorexia would just go away. I'd heard these crazy kind of unrealistic stories of people who had addictions, and once they prayed to receive Jesus in their life, they never wanted those things again, and their struggle with addiction was just simply over. So I had this unhealthy view of the Holy Spirit being this magic prescription that would take away this disease from me, that I would never have anorexic thought patterns or temptations, that I would be this powerful testimony of someone who overcame their eating disorder because of Jesus. Now, I wanted the benefit of the helper, but I didn't want the helper himself. I wanted my problem fixed, but I didn't want to have to rely on God's strength continually in my struggle. So you can imagine the confusion, the shame, the denial and disappointment that I felt when I had my first relapse after I decided to follow Jesus. I had thought that this was something I had under control, that this was something that Jesus was supposed to fix for me. But the reality is, I still experience every thought and every small decision that I make through this filter. Every single day is a a fight where I have to spend every moment making the choice to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, my helper within me, and reject the voice of my eating disorder. Some days are easier than others, but some days it is a real fight. And I was Recently talking to a woman from the San Jose campus whose daughter went through the same thing and she said the most profound thing to me. She said, your anorexia is your thorn in the flesh. And suddenly it clicked for me. How many times have I pleaded with God to just take this away from me so I don't struggle anymore? But instead of that, I get his grace. I get to rely on him to be my help. And how much deeper and closer and more intimately do I get to know him because of that? I get to experience in this struggle that he is not a distant God, but that he is close to me in the struggle, speaking truth to me that I can choose to lean into and listen to instead of the lies of my eating disorder. He being my help in this specific weakness actually means that I get to reject any shame that I feel. My weakness is actually my honor, not my shame. Like Paul said, therefore, I will boast in my weakness, because when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, God being my helper is my victory, not my defeat. My intrinsic need for the Holy Spirit as my helper in this specific struggle is my victory, not my defeat. He has not left me alone to struggle but is close to me in the struggle because God is not a distant God. Now we also see in this text that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us in our struggles as our comforter. We see God's kindness towards us that he doesn't leave us alone with our thorns but he comes alongside us as our helper and our comforter. He is concerned about the things that we are concerned about. And one of my favorite Bible verses of all time says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. And the word cast here is so significant because it implies that our anxiety and our worries can be so heavy and that those are the very things that God wants to carry for us. Those things that weigh down upon us so heavily. Because he cares for us and wants to provide rest and comfort for us. He is the God who invites those who are burdened to come find rest in him. To stop trying to carry these things on our own and to accept his comfort, to accept his help. In his grace, we can cast our worries on him. Because we have this deep assurance that he cares for us. He's not a distant God. He's not a distant God. Now, I want us to actually try and exercise together right now, reading through that promise that God left Paul and that God left us to comfort us. My grace is sufficient for you. And we're going to read through that phrase a couple of times. And each each time, a different word on the screen is going to be in bold. So as we read that word, we emphasize that word. And as we do that, we're going to do that out loud together. And I want to encourage each one of us in this room to consider how God might be trying to take this truth that his grace is sufficient for you from head knowledge to heart knowledge. How does he want to make this truth very real to you tonight? How does he want to comfort you through these words tonight? So we're going to read this first one. The emphasized word should be grace. Let's say this together. My grace is sufficient for you. His grace. God loves you. God has favor on you. God is pleased with you, and that is enough. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And this next word should be my, my grace is sufficient for you. This is the grace of our Savior who suffered his own thorns. This is his grace. And this next word is, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not that his grace may be sufficient, but it is. It is right now for whatever you're going through. Whatever is weighing down upon you right now, his grace is sufficient for you. These next two words, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's read that together. My grace is sufficient for you. I love that this was not a promise just left for Paul, but it was left for you and for me also. Whatever our thorn is, wherever we need comfort, God is extending that for us. This last word, sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. This grace is sufficient to uphold us, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to bring triumph out of us, to redeem and bring beauty out of our thorns and our struggles. His grace is sufficient because it is close to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not a distant God. Now, friends, where do you need to experience his comfort tonight? Where do you need to experience his healing? Now, God cares about our weaknesses. He cares about our pain. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. So when we don't know how to pray or when we feel like we are without words or without strength to pray, we can find great comfort in that, that he is praying for us on our behalf. He's praying for our pain, for our struggles, for our weaknesses, for our thorns. Now, what, what kind of pain do you have tonight? Maybe emotional trauma, spiritual depression, physical pain. Where do you need to experience his comfort and his healing? The Holy Spirit points us to the person of Jesus, and we know that healing was and is a primary work of Jesus. So much of his ministry in the Gospels accounts for his miracles of healing, but it also continues after he is gone. We see in Acts that right after the disciples receive the Holy Spirit, they go out and a blind beggar is healed. Jesus is still healing today. And the Spirit longs for us to let him intercede on our behalf and ask for our healing. But friends, what, what is it that could actually be keeping us from allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede for us in this way? Well, for honest Healing can be very painful. It can be a long process that takes a lot of patience, a lot of strength, a lot of endurance. It can sometimes feel more painful and more hurtful than it is helpful. But a primary role of the Holy Spirit is to convict believers of sin. And this doesn't only mean to point out to us what we are doing wrong, but also to reveal the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, the sexual, the verbal abuse that we have experienced in this world. To reveal to us how we have been wronged so that He can heal us and bring deep comfort to us. He is not a distant God and He is not distant in His healing. He is close. This is the God who weeps with us, the God who mourns with us whose heart is broken at the pain that we have experienced in this world and the wrongs that have been done to us. So tonight, will you allow the Holy Spirit to comfort you in this way? In a few moments, uh, I'm going to invite the band back up right now. Uh, We're going to sing a song together that has the words, you keep drawing me closer to your heart. Now, how, how is the Holy Spirit trying to draw you closer to the heart of God tonight? How is he inviting you to embrace the healing that God has for you? How could he be trying to draw you into his comfort? What anxiety, what shame, what pain, what fear is he asking you to cast on him and know with deep certainty that he cares for you? He cares for you that he wants you to cast those things on him. Now, how could the Holy Spirit be inviting you to trust God in the midst of your weakness, of your brokenness, to let go of your own self-sufficiency and lean into his ever-sufficient grace for you? Now, as we sing those words together as a sign of surrender to the Holy Spirit, would you be so bold as to raise your hands, to raise your hands to invite his healing? To invite his comfort, invite his help, invite his counsel. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that, that you come alongside us. That you are not distant. for any person in this room who needs to know this and experience this tonight, God, I pray as we sing the words of this next song that you would indeed draw them closer to your heart. God, you long for a close relationship with each one of us. God, you long to be our comforter. You long to be our helper where we need you. You long to be our helper even in the areas of our lives where we don't feel like we need you. You long to comfort us in the areas of our hearts where we don't want to let you go there. Maybe the parts of our story that we are trying to push down and forget about because they're so painful. But Holy Spirit, we invite you and ask you to do something in our hearts right now. God, I pray that every person in this room would experience you coming alongside them. We love you so much and we invite you. It's in your name we pray.